My name is Father Mike Delaney and I'm the parish priest of the Kingston Channel Catholic Parish in the Archdiocese of Hobart. This is my homily for the fifth Sunday of Lent. This week we're in the sixth and final week of a series called Seriously God? Making Sense of Life, Not Making Sense. We've been looking at roadblocks to developing a relationship with God. Obstacles that often keep people from taking God seriously or even developing faith and trust in God. We're looking at these hurdles so that you might be more open to a greater understanding of who God is and what he's doing. In the same way, a relationship grows when we lean into misunderstandings or gaps. Our connection to God can grow when we don't understand him or something doesn't make sense. We've looked at when God says no, at times when God seems to be in our way, when God allows the wrong people to rule, and even when God seems uncooperative. We've covered many topics over these last weeks, and if you've missed any of the messages, you can go to my homily podcast. Details are in the newsletter, and you can listen to any one of the messages you've missed. Today we look at the problem of pain and suffering. Pain causes a problem for Christians and everyone. There's no doubt about it. The classic argument goes something like this. If God is all good and all powerful, then he would not allow pain and suffering. Since there is pain and suffering in the world, either God must not be all good or God is not all powerful. Either God allows suffering when he could stop it and so he does not have any good intentions towards us, or he wants suffering to end, but is powerless to stop it. On its surface, this quandary seems unanswerable, like an airtight argument against Christianity. It seems it's to show that it doesn't make sense to be a Christian. But at the same time, our dissatisfaction with pain and suffering offers a hint that we need to look again at the topic. The English writer C.S. Lewis in, the, in his book, The Problem of Pain, writes, In a sense, it, meaning Christianity, creates rather than solves the problem of pain. For pain would not be a problem unless side by side with our daily experience of this painful world, we have received what we think are good assurances that ultimate reality is righteous and loving. If we have a problem with pain or a disquiet in our hearts, minds and souls with pain, it's because we believe that pain is unnatural, that it's not the way it's supposed to be. Pain is not a problem if there is not a loving God. If all of life came from random chance or by a God that did not love us, we would just accept pain and suffering the way a fish accepts water. We wouldn't question it. And yet we do. Something in us, deep in us, knows that pain and suffering are not natural. They are a break with how things are supposed to be. So this cry from our heart is pointing us towards a deeper understanding of reality. Our hearts help us to begin to see that the argument against Christianity is too narrow. It reduces our goodness and well-being simply to the absence of pain or feeling good. If feeling good is our ultimate aim and purpose in life, then a good God would not allow suffering. However, we know in our heart of hearts 
that feeling good is not the ultimate aim of life. We know there is much more because we do things all the time that can be painful or uncomfortable, from exercise to flossing to exams. Pain does not discount a loving God. While God does not want us in pain, God uses pain for our good and the good of others. In the letter of Paul to the Roman, he writes, We know that turning everything to their good, God cooperates with all those who love him. God uses every pain in our life for your good or for the good of others. This may sound like wishful thinking, but what if it's true? And then there's the fact that people who often go through the most pain and suffering can also seem to have a very close relationship with God. They go through pain worse than what we have experienced, and yet the pain seems to lead them to a deeper intimacy with God. How is that possible? We see witnesses of this in our world today, and in several witnesses in the Scriptures. It's what we find in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, Paul was instrumental in the spread of the gospel. Without Paul, Christianity would have remained essentially a Jewish sect. But Paul took the gospel beyond Israel to the Gentile world. And what makes Paul's life so interesting is that he started out persecuting Christianity. Then Paul converted from being the biggest enemy of the gospel to following Christ and to become its biggest proponent. Paul writes this letter from jail. He's been in prison not because he did something wrong, but because he did something right. He's in prison for preaching and teaching about Jesus. Imprisonment was in some ways the least of the pain he received. He'd been beaten with rods, nearly stoned to death, shipwrecked, and his life constantly threatened by people who opposed the message of the gospel. In his dedication to Jesus, he lost friends, lost sleep, and went without food or shelter. Suffering and loss for Paul were not some theoretical issues. He didn't sit round in a cosy room by a fire on the beach and think about pain. He actually experienced it. And after experiencing that pain, he wrote this, I believe that nothing will outweigh the supreme advantage of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. Paul says that he can write off everything as unimportant in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul says all the pain and all the loss, specifically he is hinting here to his loss of status he once had, all the pain and all the loss are nothing in comparison to knowing Christ. He seems to connect the two here, the pain the suffering, the loss, led him to what is most important in life, knowing the person of Jesus. Pain and suffering can lead us to the point that we know that Jesus is our Lord. It's been said you will not know who Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. When everything has been stripped away from Paul, he develops a greater intimacy with the person of Jesus Christ. We might hear those words from Paul, and if we're sitting across the table from him or standing outside his prison cell, we might say, well, 
That's a lot to take in and difficult to believe. And then Paul would probably answer, wait, I'm not finished, not even close. Paul then goes on, for him I have accepted the loss of everything, and I look on everything as so much rubbish if I could only have Christ and be given a place in him. Paul says he not only doesn't care about his loss of comfort, his loss of status, his loss of physical freedom, but he considers those things rubbish in comparison to a relationship with Christ. And then skipping ahead a verse, he says, All I want is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and to share his suffering by reproducing the pattern of his death. Just think about that. Paul says he is privileged to know Jesus and wants to share in his suffering. He wants to partner in his suffering. To us, that might sound crazy. And then he says, that is the way I can hope to take my place in the resurrection of the dead. Paul reminds us that there is a connection with suffering and resurrection. For there could be no Easter Sunday without a Good Friday. Since Jesus went to the cross, he, would, he could rise again. Through suffering, Paul joins himself more deeply to Christ Jesus and so has hope to rise again. He then continues, I can assure you, my brothers and sisters, I am far from thinking that I have already won. All I can say is that I forget the past and I strain ahead for what is still to come. I am racing for the finish, for the prize to which God calls us upwards to receive in Christ Jesus. Paul says he knows he's not there yet. The resurrection will come through the pain, but that's not where we are in the story. I know that is where I'm going. When I suffer, I don't look at the suffering. I don't give the suffering my full attention. Instead, Paul says he focuses on the finish line in the same way a runner in a marathon may be suffering a lot of pain, but he or she does not stop running or think about the pain. Instead, they focus their eyes on the finish line. In the same way, a woman in childbirth doesn't focus on the pain, but focuses on pushing the child out so she can get to the finish line and hold her baby. Paul says he focuses on Jesus and the prize of the resurrection. So let's acknowledge that suffering and pain are real. When we experience them, it's easy to narrow our focus and concentrate only on our pain. But we can learn from Paul who challenges us to widen our view and to focus on the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Focus on where you are going not where you are. Paul then concludes, We who are called perfect must all think in this way. If there is some point on which you see things differently, God will make it clear to you. Paul puts perfect in quotes because he knows none of us is perfect. We are working on that, but having this attitude towards pain and suffering and loss will help mature us. If we have an immature attitude towards pain, we can allow God to show us the real truth. So while pain does present a problem for Christ followers, 
No one can argue the scriptures do not address pain and suffering. Repeatedly, the scriptures run right into it. Perhaps of all the differences between our thoughts and God's thoughts, it's about pain that we are most different from God. Human beings say pain discounts a good God, and people who know God say pain and suffering can allow us to know God more intimately. God uses pain to raise us to new life. So as we wrap up this series, I'd like to give you an opportunity to commit or recommit your life to Jesus Christ. To say with Paul that nothing compares to knowing Christ Jesus. Along the way we've looked at obstacles to faith and trust in God. While we certainly haven't answered every possible doubt and question in these six weeks, maybe you are now ready to come to a new level of faith in Christ Jesus. This week I'm inviting you to pray for the grace to know the Lord Jesus in your life. I pray that you will be able to open your hearts to, to listen to what he is saying to us and to respond to his challenge. And my prayer is that you will make sense of life, even when it doesn't seem to make sense.